0: Hello, and welcome to Living the Dream for General Practitioners, the podcast for doctors and clinic leaders who want to learn about pathways, strategies, and opportunities for living and working in Australia. Join me, Gemma Goff, and my expert guests as we share stories, unlock the secrets to recruitment success, share tips for moving across the world, navigating new cultures, and so much more. This show is brought to you by Health Recruitment Australia. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode seven, the penultimate in our GP Recruitment Fundamentals podcast series. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Denzel Cheesley from Ray White Seaford, a very successful real estate company here in South Adelaide. Denzel was born in Devon in the Southwest of England and migrated to Australia in 2000 at the age of 25 following his father who had migrated in the 1980s. After a spell of working in the family wine industry in Wollongong, in 2001 Denzel studied for his real estate license before embarking on a career in real estate sales in 2002. He is now 48 and lives at Christie's Beach with his partner Kelly and Cheddar the Corgi. He works hard and enjoys his job. He also loves the outdoors, mainly in the forms of hiking, traveling, kayaking, or just a run on the beach with cheddar and he likes football, the pommy version. Denzel will be sharing his knowledge on all things real estate in the hope to provide you with information to make finding your new home in Australia more achievable. Denzil, welcome and thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Pleasure. Well, well let's jump right in. We've got lots of questions to ask you today. So um, certainly one of the questions that I'm asked most by GPs um, that are considering a move to Australia is um, what's the property market looking like at the moment? I appreciate it's ever changing. So, um, but perhaps you could share with our listeners what the market's doing at the moment.
1: It's hot, um, especially in South Australia, Western Australia, uh, Brisbane, that's uh, another hot market. Um, it's been, I think, it's mirrored the UK a little bit in that it's been a, a, a seller's market for about three and a half years. We all expected the COVID downturn. Spark to boom. Go figure. <laughs> so it, it's not the mad frenzy in Adelaide that it was maybe two years, three years ago, but it's still multiple offers on most properties and most of them selling within a week or two. And renting is, is the same. Yeah. They're not hanging around.
0: Yeah. Right. So I thought we'd talk about sort of renting and then buying a home as two separate parts. Um, so if a GP decides that their best option when they arrive into Australia um, is to rent, as many do, because they like to obviously have a look around, find an area that they're comfortable with, good schools and things like that. So how does the process work in regards to securing a rental? So how do they sort of join mailing lists and things like that?
1: Yeah. Almost all properties with all property managers do go online on the usual website portals, realestate.com.au, domain.com.au. There's not much that flies under the radar. So you can certainly go on agents notification lists, but the properties are still going to get advertised in almost all circumstances. So I would say to somebody that is eyeing up a move to Australia and um, it wants to pre-apply for a rental, keep an eye on the, the area that you've selected that you think you want to be in keep an eye almost daily on new releases there will almost always there'll be an online application in almost all cases they can submit an application without seeing but the properties will be viewed there'll be an open time for 20 minutes or so and three days time and they will expose the property before looking at applications um yeah so that that would be the case but submit an application you can do that without viewing the property um the main thing I think is to have good backup with references. Um, landlords do have a choice at the moment. There's usually, just like there's three or four offers on every house for sale, there's usually three or four, four applicants very quickly for every rental. So credentials such as a good reference, um, and if they're not in town, you know they usually like to see proof of income savings, um, landlords like to see that somebody has the capability always of paying the rent. So, if there are savings in your account, a screenshot of a bank balance gives great weight to an application.
0: Okay, excellent. So, um, the sort of rental process in Australia is obviously slightly different to overseas in the sense that, as you mentioned, they do like to have applicants to visit the property. Um, So, that's obviously very difficult for for a GP and their family if they're coming from overseas. So, is there sort of a workaround for a GP or or is it a case of they have to kind of come in on an Airbnb type thing and then find a property?
1: Um, You might be at a slight disadvantage having not seen the property, but I think if you explain your situation, that I'm a GP, I I get on a plane, my family and I get on a plane in three weeks, we want somewhere, so certainly say we want somewhere for the first 12 months not the first three months because all landlords like to have a secure lease for 12 months at a time at least they don't want to think you're going to break lease in three months because you're going to buy immediately because they generally will have to pay the relet costs um the the the, the breaking lease you'd probably be up for that but um yeah i would suggest just explain your situation if you can't physically see the property if you've still got the proof of bank balance and and the reasons behind it. It shouldn't disadvantage you as an applicant.
0: Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um so how does the rental sort of tenancy arrangement work in regards to um the term a deposit, insurance, rates inspection? Like what would somebody be up for um, you know, if they decide rental's the way to go?
1: Usually um for most properties, a six weeks rent worth of bond. Is payable up front and that's held, that's lodged with the residential tenancies. Okay, so um, that isn't held by the landlord or the property manager, that's held basically by the government. And that's just in case you fail to pay rent, run away, damage the property. But a six week uh, uh, bond. Also, normally rents are paid two weeks up front. So you really want eight weeks worth of rent to lay down at the outset of a
0: lease. Okay, that's really helpful. And what about, what sort of is a standard term? Is it 12 months is is pretty typical?
1: I would say 90% of rental leases are on a 12 month basis. Some might be six months, but that creates a little bit more uncertainty for the landlord if they're a long-term investor and a little bit of uncertainty for the tenant if they think, well, we wanna bed in for 12 months, not have to move potentially after six. So you would find easily 90% of leases are 12 months at a time. Sometimes a long-term investor would, would, would say will they be interested in 24 months now a GP moving to the country probably doesn't want to bed in for two years six to 12 months is going to be enough for them to decide where they want to live and buy in most cases
0: yeah awesome okay what about things like insurance so landlords have insurance what would that cover and then what would our GPs need to get insurance for the
1: the the tenant the GP would only need insurance for their contents yeah landlords are responsible uh for council rates um building insurance they usually will have landlord insurance as well in case of loss of rent you know um but that's that's their business they may they may not um but um yeah the i i believe in the uk correct me if i'm wrong in most cases the tenant pays the council rates i think could be wrong uh but that's not the case in australia okay
0: good to know okay super and what about inspections that's something that's um you know done here frequently isn't it is it quarterly inspections for most? Quarterly is standard yeah. yeah okay
1: inspections four times a year where the property manager will uh send you out a week's notice you don't have to be there the tenant doesn't have to be there the property manager will have a key they'll say we'll come through on this day or around this time they'll be there for 10 15 minutes just make sure there's no damage or no.
0: So, what happens when a lease is due for renewal? So, is it sort of automatic after those twelve months, or is a rate increase likely? What if a GP or a landlord doesn't want to um, extend the lease? Like, how how does that work?
1: After that twelve month lease, um, it's only renewed with the written agreement of both the landlord and the tenant. Um, many occasions, the tenant so a notice will go out usually about six four to six weeks prior to the end of lease lease renewal option because most landlords are long-term landlords they want a good tenant to stay if the market dictates they'll put the rent up 20 bucks a week if the market doesn't dictate but well, they can't really do it um but um yeah there'll be a, a four to six week notice of lease renewal uh, which usually um the landlord will want to to take up the tenant might decide you know what we've just put a contract on a property we won't be renewing we're buying um,
0: makes sense okay so if the if the um either party decides that's not what they want to do um and there was sort of open houses is that done when the tenants leave the property or is that something that's done while the tenants are still there
1: the the, the property manager will often request can we do a few viewings in the week or two before you vacate and it's just down to verbal agreement whenever it's convenient in most situations a tenant would say yeah you can do a viewing at this time on this day we'll make sure it's tidy we'll make sure the kids are out we'll pop out um but uh, that's just down to communication um the a a property manager i believe does have the right to come through if they serve i think it's still correct seven to fourteen days written notice um uh, but you know there wouldn't normally be a problem with that usually that usually the tenant would say yeah no problem we'll pop out for dinner that afternoon go on you know so <laughs> now if if, um, if it's at the end of the lease less um, uh, less motivation for the tenant to be cooperative there but if the tenant is breaking lease they will be very cooperative because a tenant breaking lease is up for loss of rent and relay costs so they'll say yeah sure show potential tenants through because that tenant, if they're breaking the lease, will want as seamless as possible a transition between them going out and new tenant going in, so they're not up for three weeks lost rent, They're only five days, you know what I mean? So in that situation, the tenant, if they're breaking the lease, will say, yeah, yeah, show group's through. We don't want the place emptied or cost us because yeah, we've broken the lease. Yeah, of course,
0: yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense, yeah. So what about um, sort of subletting? Is that something that's permitted?
1: No. Um, the The any change to the lease once a tenant is in has to be agreed in writing now a tenant might move in and three months later they might apply we want to get a we want to get a puppy or a kitten and that has to be approved through the property manager by the landlord and if you're being a great tenant and if the landlord isn't too particular they might say yeah they're being good tenants let them get you know uh or their family members now coming over from the uk as well can we you know add them to the lease it would normally be approved if you're already being a good tenant, I would say. But any sublet or changes to people on the lease uh, needs to be approved.
0: Okay. We've had some feedback from some GPs that, um, you know, they they have to get in writing permission for things like putting pictures on walls and things like that. Is that the case as well? Like if they want to sort of make it their own, that they would need to? Yeah. Look, if
1: it's if it's nails going into walls, um, sometimes people, Tenants will just do it, but you should just seek permission.
0: Sure, courtesy, courtesy call kind of thing.
1: And there are so many variables there. Sometimes you might have particular landlords says, I don't want them to touch a thing, but sometimes you'll have a cruisy landlord to say, "Yeah, look, they seem like good people. They're not going to do anything silly." Tell them they can make the make sensible changes. So the, there's
0: no firm answer. Okay, that's fair. Um, anything else you think our listeners should um, be aware of in terms of the rental side of things?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think um, on a personal basis, look, if you've already done a recce trip, which I think a lot of people that migrate have done so. Um, in my experience of seeing English buyers at open inspections for houses that are am selling, most of them have been to Adelaide before. I would say 60, 70% at least. Um, and if that's the case, you kind of know the areas, you know where you want to be. If you've never been to the country or the city, I kind of think, although it's not so economically viable, get an Airbnb for a month first, you know, taking out a lease and then landing and thinking, we don't even like this area, you know, not so bad if you're renting, um, but if you have bought as well, you know, you, you're sort of committed. Um, so I sort of think, although, you know, to, to take, take a rental for a few, take a, an Airbnb or, or a short-term holiday place for th- the three weeks, very costly. But at least you'll get to learn the demographics before you start your new job, before you commit to a lease or a purchase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. All right. So moving on to then um, buying a property, Um, what would the considerations be for a GP who would prefer to buy a home from overseas? So they're in the UK and they want to buy something in Australia um, versus when they are in Australia. Is it smart to do this? Is there sort of tax implications and... Um, you know, are they better to wait till they get into Australia? How would that work? Again, I
1: think it depends on whether they have been to the city or the country before, and do they know where they're buying? Somebody who's been to the to the to, to Adelaide, for example, for a few weeks in the past might have really fallen for some areas they might be comfortable with buying. Um, I, my partner and I, we've got a few investment properties interstate, which we're not so emotionally involved in. We don't live in them. Um, but we have always flown to see, even though their investments. I just personally were rather try before I buy. Um, but um, look, I have over the years, sold at least a couple of properties to people who haven't even arrived in the country yet, and don't really know where they're buying. And look, it's just their mindset. They're just thinking, well, it looks like a good area. We know we've got a friend that lives a few suburbs away. We're comfortable buying, but personally, um,
0: So what about things like the tax and things? Is that something that you're aware of? Like, is it sort of, are there financial benefits to buying from overseas or, you know, in Australia? Is there sort of things that, you know, buyers could be aware of?
1: You'll pay stamp duty and stamp duty roughly dollar for dollar is expensive compared to the UK. I think it's about double. Yeah, Um, So if you buy, for example, a £400,000 home, I looked up and I think the stamp duty for someone who is not a first home buyer or it's not an investment, I think they'll pay about seven and a half thousand pounds, uh, which is about $13,000 that if you buy that house, which is 400,000 pounds in dollars, that's about $760,000 Aussie you'll pay stamp duty instead of seven and a half thousand pounds, you'll probably pay about $30,000 it's more than double Uh, and they vary from state to state. South Australia has one of the highest per dollar stamp duty, but they're they're all roughly within the zone. But yeah, just factor that in. Um, If you are not yet a permanent resident, um, some GPs might come in on permanent residency granted already. Some might be temporary. I don't know. Um, If you're not a permanent resident, there is stamp duty loading as well. So the government will tax you higher if you're not a permanent resident, if you're on, say, a four-year initial visa. So some people do rent for a few years until their permanent visa comes through because otherwise the stamp duty load, I think it increases by about 40, 50%. Okay.
0: See, that's really helpful. That's great to know. Um, can you break down the steps in regards to buying a home? So let's say the GP is currently in a rental um, and has decided they've now got their permanent residency, so they want to buy. What are the first things that they should do?
1: The majority of buy, it's a very different market. And I, di- I didn't work in the UK in real estate. Um, but um, it's a very different kind of environment. Um, it's more streamlined. I don't think, you know, in the UK, you can get gazumping right up until the last day of the exchange. That must be so stressful. I know, and I think there's a couple of states in Australia because every state has its own legislation. There's a couple of states that are a bit like that. South Australia is streamlined, you know, when, um, you know, you might put a contract on a property, might, might be subject to finance approval. We normally allow 14 days thereabouts for formal loan approval. But once the deposit is paid, the buyers through their two business day cooling off period and their finances approved, they are buying it. No one can kazoom, safe for everybody. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I think um, it, it's a very much a seller's market. You've got to be quick. So if you're if you're in the country and you're in a rental and you're ready to buy, go to the opens. Look at the properties online. New ones come online every week. They'll be open Saturday and often open Monday or Tuesday evening in many circumstances, get to one of those opens because in this market, if you find a property that after a week or two, no one's offered on, you've got to think, why is that? You know, you you expect to be competing. So be prepared to have your finances in line and be ready if you see the one that you really want to to, to make an offer.
0: Okay, and how does the offer process work? What do they need to do? Is it sort of written or do they give the agent a call or how does that work?
1: Yeah, most buyers, so at open inspections, and and properties are almost always open for inspection in Australia. That can be a bit different from the UK as well. At open inspections, I will check everybody digitally. They'll get a link to the property with an offer form, copy of the title, and rental appraisal in case they're an investor. And I'll also have hard copies of the offer forms and opens, as well as the brochure, take everybody's details. Normally, if somebody's interested in a property, before I can follow them up on a Monday... They will often flick an offer through to me on that offer form via text, screenshot, SMS, whatever, or via email by the Monday, uh, and they we, we will then talk with with all offerers. And I say all offerers because in this market, it's very rare that I have a property that drags and only has one offer. There's usually the, the three new releases I've had this weekend and open again at the start of the week. Uh, we had nine offers on the property at Aberford Park. Eight on Norfolk Vale. I've currently got three on the one at Seaford, and I'm expecting one or two more. It's like that, especially in the under three quarters of a million dollar bracket, where there's a lot of congestion amongst buyer activity. Um, so act, speak with the agent.
0: Yeah, and what are they looking for? The sort of the high um, that the the seller wants the more the most money, or do they want sort of cash? offers or are they looking for you know the first time buyers so there's no chain what what sort of is what what is what tempts the seller money first conditions close
1: second yeah definitely um if there's a lot of buyers in this competitive market that are borrowing from a bank but if almost all of them but if they are confident first time buyers as well as second or third time buyers if they're confident in their communications with their lender that they're a dead cert for the loan they're removing the finance clause and going unconditional so yeah and just putting the 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 risk of finance with themselves not the seller um and i've done that as well you know if you speak to your bank and even if you're borrowing 70 80 percent if your lender or your finance broker says oh you're good for the money you've got a big deposit you've got a solid job you're going into you're in um a lot of buyers are removing the finance clause so if somebody sells in the uk and is lucky enough to have hundred thousand pounds that they bring over uh, and a good job that they've now been in for three to six months so the banks will all look at them they often won't for three to six months if they are 100 percent sure that they can borrow the rest and be sure um then you a lot of buyers would make an unconditional offer because that as well as the money, is a close second in what appeals to right. the seller. Right.
0: Okay. That sounds good. All right. That's really helpful. Um, what are the big no-nos for GPs that they should be aware of when buying a home in Australia? Is there just anything that they just might not know that they should know? Um,
1: no, I don't think so. It is a more streamlined process. Agents are, for the very, for the most part, very ethical people. Um, yeah, we, we, we seem to be second and third only to use car salesmen. And, you know, and no, no, no disrespect to them either, but that's just the, the way it is. But no, no, I find most agents that I've dealt with in my 22 years of selling property in this area um, are really good people. And, and they will answer your questions honestly and ethically. And they're working for the seller. Their job is to get as much money from the buyer as possible. So don't be surprised if they try and pull more money out of you. That's their job but they will, you know, they're normally very honest, ethical people. So I don't think there's any pitfalls. Um, Speak to a conveyancer first, if you like. So a conveyancer, I think you might use a solicitor in the UK, property solicitor. Conveyancer in South Australia, other states, they use the term property solicitor, Um, but they are an independent. But once you've got a contract on a property, they will organize the transfer of funds one way and the title the other way. Uh, You know, if if you feel like you want a bit of independent confidence, a a, a British buyer might speak to a conveyancer first.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. All right. Um, So, I'm looking at my list of questions, there were quite a few from uh, from our doctors. Um, There was, um, yeah, just essentially, is there anything else that you think a GP should consider when buying a home? And is there anything else you think a GP should be aware of in regards to anything real estate related that we haven't already covered today?
1: Oh, I think for me, and this is just personal choice bed in first. You know, uh, I mentioned that the stamp duty dollar for dollar is roughly double what it is in the UK. You don't want to buy a home on a whim, maybe without seeing the home or the area and realize within a few months, this isn't the right place for myself and my family for the next five to 10 years and want to sell and buy again. There's a big cost in the transaction. So I think personally, and it's not the right answer, but it's my own personal choice. I think if I were coming to the country anew, and I didn't know the areas and I didn't know that the lifestyle that comes with that area or the feel of that. And we're all different. We all want different feel from a home and from a location. Bed in for a few weeks. You're likely to land in the country and you're not going to start work the next day. Your kids probably aren't in school the next week. Use that few weeks to get an Airbnb, as costly as it might be, because it might be a big saving in the long run when you buy the right home and pay stamp duty and, and, and sales costs once in a decade, not twice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Bed in and, and
1: learn your surrounds and, and see what air explore. See what areas that feels right to you and your family.
0: And that's one of the things we talk about in one of our earlier podcasts is about why is a GP looking to relocate? Was it to get a better work life balance? So do they want to be, you know, taking up a hobby like surfing? So they want to be by the beach, you know, or do they want country living and have a hobby farm? So you're absolutely right is to go go explore first when you get here before making that big commitment. So that that's great advice.
1: There's an element in me that where I've lived And I've always lived in the same zone, but I've looked for an element of character and charm that I think you don't always get in a newer country. We've got space and environment and and free, you know, it's great here, but sometimes Australia can lack that, that character. And I've looked at certain zones that feel like a little bit of, you know, not a little bit of England, but just an area where there feels like a community. Yeah. Yeah. And funnily enough, there's quite a few ponds that live around me, so maybe they'd look the same.
0: That's right, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, if there's nothing else you want to add, Denzil, I thank you for joining me today. Uh, This has been really helpful. Um, I think that it will be a big help for our listeners um, taking that step closer to planning their move down under. So if any of our listeners uh, would like to get in touch and ask you any questions about their move or seek guidance and support in regards to securing a home, how would they do that?
1: certainly give me a call zero four two two three zero zero seven one eight. my email Denzil that's D-E-N-Z-I-L dot cheesley C-H-E-E-S-L-E-Y at raywhite.com uh, our office is in the Seaford Meadows Shopping Centre but yeah any any questions that anybody has any of your listeners have um, yeah I'd love to assist hopefully it um, provides a bit of advice and assurance to somebody um, and look I've had friends as well in, in various careers that almost made the move that didn't, and they get to their forties and fifties and think, what if, if you don't settle, you can always go back, but don't get to 65 and wonder whether you should have moved to Australia when you had the chance. You know, it's, you can always go back after Do remember as well, that most of us get very homesick in the first year. About 18 months is the period that you should truly judge whether you're happy. You know, um, th- there's a time period when you stop doing the conversion to pounds in your head. That's when you bet it's true. It's about 18 months. You know, the first year you go, What's that in pounds? Is that too much? You stop doing that after about 18 months. And that's when you start to feel like an Aussie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been lovely to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, if our listeners uh, want to reach out to Denzel, then please do so. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks, Gemma. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Living the Dream for General Practitioners. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. At Health Recruitment Australia, we want to see more happy GPs, thriving medical practices and healthy communities. If you'd like to join us on our mission, visit healthrecruitmentaustralia.com.au to explore opportunities and get in touch. Thanks for listening.